I want to thank you all for being here on this Wednesday, and if you want to open to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll look at a few verses there. We have one lady in the church, Betty McWilliams, in the hospital with pneumonia, and um, we have a couple of our ladies that are getting ready for surgery. Let me pray for these people. Father, thank you for this food and opportunity to look at your word. And we do pray that you'd be with Betty and Mac McWilliams, and especially that you'd help these um, medications that Betty's receiving to get her strong where she can be back in her home quickly. And for some of the ladies of our church who are getting ready for surgeries, we pray for your peace upon them, and we pray for the success of their surgeries. And Father, that you would allow them to heal quickly and to be back in the Christmas in holiday time of, of the year in, in strength. Now, again, for every good gift, we give you thanks in Christ's name, amen. Now, we've been looking at the whole aspect of faith. Today, we want to talk about growth in faith, and growth in faith comes in the book of Hebrews by the use of the word better over and over again. If you read through the book of Hebrews, that word better will repeat itself. And really, one of the things that's foundational is that there's better knowledge. Now, you've got a whole book here about how your faith grows. You've got 13 chapters. You want to see your faith grow. Probably, this is the one book in the whole Bible that you could go to and read over and over again, and the outcome would be an increase of your faith. But you can't just know the facts. There has to be a level of understanding of what you're coming to know. Then there are comparisons. The book of Hebrews is a book of comparisons. The word better is a comparative. And so when you see this word, It's comparing one thing against another thing, showing the superiority of all the things that have to do with the New Testament and New Covenant uh, application of the Scripture. But again, it's not just that we have better comparisons. We need to have understanding about them. Then there are trials and triumphs as you move through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is a book of names. It's a book of events. And as you read the names and you read the events, you understand that there were trials and there were triumphs. And as you look at these things, then you see, well, this is how people used to live. And they're examples of faith. As a result of it, as we look at these names and we look at these events and see how they, the people were impacted in their walk with God, it prepares us for the types of things that we will more than likely all have to go through to some level or degree during the time of our life. So we're talking about growth in the faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though, uh, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And by faith, Enoch was uh, taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, God was, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, when you come to the end of the chapter and move into chapter 12, it moves from all of these events and names to considering Jesus. So in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we're talking in the first place that we grow in our faith by having a better knowledge and understanding. Now, many Christians today, many Christians today fail right at this point. They fail to develop in faith because of a simple lack of knowing these events and these people, these stories that are in the Bible. Now, if you want your faith to grow, it needs to grow to be a biblical faith, not just a faith. You know, I, when I first came to Georgia, and even before when I was in South Alabama in a small church, it wasn't uncommon to go and meet somebody, be asked to come over and visit in their home, and knowing that I was a pastor, and sooner or later, I would ask them, you know, where do you go to church, or what, what's your relationship? And invariably, they would say something like this, I have my faith. Now, if you think that way, you need to be warned. My faith and biblical faith are very often two entirely different things. Some of these people have the faith of their mama. And that's, that's wonderful if mama's faith was a Christian faith. <laughs> but a lot of times, mama's faith is what we might call either uh, American folk religion or something like that. And you don't want to be standing before God with that kind of thinking. You want a better knowledge of the Bible and the faith that's talked about in the book of the Bible. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews makes use of almost every strand of the Old Testament. You start moving through the book, and he immediately starts talking about angels. But he talks about angels from the beginning of the book of Hebrews to the end of the book of Hebrews. Now, how many angel stories do you know? Angels came to people. And when the angels came to people, sometimes they just showed up when they were in a crisis. 
Sometimes when they were lost. Sometimes when they were in a battle. Sometimes when things were really just difficult, an angel showed up. We're told over and over again that angels are with us whenever we meet as the people of God. I don't believe in necessarily guardian angels, but angels surround us. We need to be aware of that. If we want to have a biblical faith, we need to have a faith that takes into consideration the actions and activities of angels in the Bible and think, what's the difference today? And the answer to that is there is no difference other than we're not seeing them uh, quite the same way. I have had people all through my ministry tell me stories about humans or seemingly humans that were involved in their life and when they went to check this particular person out in a very concrete way they had been involved in their lives nobody knew one single thing about the person they were talking about and you say well what yeah I could tell you about three of those stories just boom what did these people come to think eventually? They came to think that those were angels. Now, in the Bible, or in the book of Hebrews, there's the stories of creation. Now, today, this is one of the things that in secularism is just lampoon, the idea of creation. If you believe in creation then you're some kind of a weirdo. I mean, you are just like a Neanderthal or something. You really believe God created the world. But yet, from the beginning of the book of Hebrews to the end of the book of Hebrews, the whole aspect of God being the creator is brought up again and again. We just read the verse. By faith, we have come to understand that the worlds were created out of things that are not seen. Now, the word there is ex for not, nihilo, nothing, not from nothing. Now, you, you have people today that hold to a philosophical system called nihilism. You all familiar with nihilism at all? Nihilism basically means there's no meaning in anything. Everything is merely random. There is no significance in any life or any activity or any possession or anything at all. Life is meaningless. Out of nothing means God created this world out of nothing (laughs) by the word of his power. Now, As you move through, you have the stories in the book of Hebrews about great men and great women. The two women that come out are Sarah, the mother of the faithful, and one of the judges in the time of the the judges, the woman Deborah. And these are great women, and they're there not to uh, create faith in women, but to show that God was creating faith in men and women. It wasn't just a man thing. It was, a, it was man and woman. 
And these people went through conflicts, but they also eventuated almost to a person in some type of triumph because they trusted in God and not in their own wisdom. And overall, the book of Hebrews is a picture of how God led not just individuals, but the people of God that is known as Israel, how they were created out of nothing and how they became this great nation and from that great nation, Christ was born into this world. The author of the book of Hebrews then is constantly weaving all of these stories in comparison. And these, this comparison is always in comparison with the person of Jesus. So you have the high priest of Aaron, and you're shown that the high priesthood of Christ is superior. You have this mysterious man named Melchizedek, and Christ is greater than Melchizedek, and so forth. It, the whole idea is, as we understand these people and their greatness, we see Jesus in them, but when we see Jesus himself, we see how much superior he is to any of them. Now, here's a question. Now, let's just suppose up here on the piano, I had a million dollars right up here in some form of gold. And it was free for me to give, and I was told, you offer this million dollars to anybody in your Wednesday audience that will come up and stand the test. And the test is they need to read through the book of the chapter 11 and the book of Hebrews, and when they come to the name Abel, they need you to tell you Abel's story. Tell you Abel's story, they move on, and they tell you Enoch's story. They tell you Enoch's story, they can move on, and they tell you Abram's story, and so forth, right to the end. If the person you pick or volunteers can come up and do it, they get the gold. Now, how many of you are going to go out here with any gold? How many of you all are going to be one of the people that are going to take the gold and go? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if you think you can do it. I'm sure that there's some here that could. But if you can't, why can't you? Do you want your faith to grow? If you want your faith to grow, this is the meat and the potatoes of how your faith is to grow. The author wouldn't have put one name or one event in his book unless he felt it was contributing to the development of yours and mine faith. That's why these stories and events are here. Now, I told this story a couple times. I'll tell it quickly. But I went to this church in South Alabama, a little ways away, a little town of Defuniac Springs. There was a lady in a nursing home named Mary Whitehurst, never married, always a member of the little Presbyterian church in Florala, Alabama. So Rex Whitcomb said, John, go visit Mary. I said, great. 
So I'd love to go down to Defuniac, went down there, found the nursing home, walked in, asked, yep, she's right down there in that room, walked in, here she is in a wheelchair, hi Mary, my name's John Kinzer, I'm the pastor at First Presbyterian Church, your church up in Florella, came to visit you, how are you Mary? Zero. Not a nod, not a wink, a blink, nothing. A couple minutes later, I prayed with her, left. Came back, thought, well, that wasn't so hot. So I brought my Bible, went in, same introduction, uh, read a couple things, nothing. So I went back to Rex, says, what gives? He says, well, I don't know, haven't visited her in a while. But it says, John, she was always famous in the community for memory of the catechism and for knowledge and memory of, of large parts of the Bible. I says, really? Okay. So I showed up, third visit, and Mary, John, Pastor, Florala, nothing. So I said, Mary, I got a question for you. I said, Mary, what is the chief end of man? Now, you've seen that Frankenstein thing with the electrode, and all of a sudden, Frankenstein's a stiff, and they go, Grr. you know, like that? Well, that's what happened to Mary Whitehurst. When I said, Mary, what is the chief end of man? It was like something just took hold of her. And she just said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I kept asking questions right through the catechism. She answered every one of them word perfect, about six of them. So then I said, Mary, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. She just joined right in with Psalm 100. I went to Psalm 1, did that. Went to Psalm 23, did that. You know what? After we finished, she's ready to talk. I began to learn about Mary's life. She was a sleever at a garment factory in town. She sewed the sleeves on the garments. <laughs> now, this woman had a great faith. She was a very simple woman. But she knew her Bible, and she knew the theology of the Bible. Why can't we? And the answer is there's no reason why we can't. Um, one of the old professors I had in homiletics used to advocate this little um, limerick by one of the British writers. Writing makes the full man. Or rather, reading makes the full man. Writing makes the exact man. And speaking makes the ready man. But you can't be re ready unless you've written, and you have nothing to write unless you've got something you've read. Reading fills your life for faith. You read the Bible. You read it to know the names. You read it to know the stories. You read it in a way to see how God developed faith that sustained people through uh, the big and the little of life. Now, Again, the second thing, growth in faith comes through better comparisons and understanding. Hebrews is talking about the, the books of the New Testament, is the book in the New Testament that is based upon these comparisons. And so you have things that are 
weak, set aside things that are strong. In some cases, not very often, things that are bad, set aside things that are good. But over and over again, you have things that we know are good that we're told that there are things that relate to the new covenant that are much better. Now, one of the other things that this book does, it deals with the Jewish distortions about life with God in the Old Testament and true life with God by faith in the Old Testament. So when you think of all the things that Jesus was dealing with, scribes, Pharisees, what's the next word? When Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, he says, scribes, Pharisees, what's the next word? Hypocrites. Over and over again, Jesus says, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. They had distorted the religion of the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews shows you the real life of the people of the Old Testament, that it was a life by faith with God. So it's a correction against the deadliness of legalism and the realities of a living faith and a living relationship with God. Now in chapter 9, if you wanted to look there, um, we have a couple of these things that are mentioned. And beginning in verse 6 of chapter 9, it says, talks about the, the temple being prepared... And it says that the priests were entering there performing divine worship. But into the second part of the the temple, only the high priest would enter once a year and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Now, verse 8 is very interesting. It's the bridge verse. The Holy Spirit is signifying this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time, according to which the gifts and sacrifices which are offered cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body, imposed, look at this, until a time of reformation. But when Christ entered in verse 11, as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the bloods of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained an eternal redemption. You have something that's earthly and temporal, It's the Old Testament temple and sacrificial system. And then you have something that occurs once in history, and it's of a non-repeatable nature. When Christ enters into the holy place of heaven, and he presents his sacrifice before the Father as the great high priest. Now look at this again in verse 13 and 14. So you have the old and the, and the present contrasted again, compared. If the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I deal with the conscience. Now the other day, I don't know what I'd done to merit this, but I got promoted. And I kind of like it when I get promoted and it's unexpected. But I got a couple letters sent to me, and I all of a sudden was Dr. Kinzer. Now, I want to tell you, it felt pretty good. It actually did feel pretty good. Dr. Kinzer, I thought, well, that's, that's, I might, I might need to take that to the personnel committee at the church. That might, that might bear some fruit. But, uh, but don't worry, buddy, I know better. So, but. I am. I really am a, a doctor of your conscience. That's my job. That's Chip's job. That's any pastor's job. How can I help minister to the conscience of people? Because if you, if you listen or watch or participate in anything in contemporary media today, the deal is the conscience. People feel that their life is distorted and warped in a tragedy and all manner of things, and they carry this around in their conscience. And what's, what is this passage telling us? That if we are engaged to Christ in faith, that the blood of Christ, who didn't do this on his own, but he did it according to the power of the eternal spirit, and he didn't offer himself just randomly. He offered himself without blemish to God the Father. There you have the whole trinity. And the whole trinity is going to be involved in cleansing you in your conscience. And where it says back there a few verses earlier, where there is such sacrifices, there's no need for them to be repeated. What you need, what I need is this comparison, and then we need, by faith, understand what's being told us. If we put our faith in Christ, we have this cleansing of our conscience. Growth in faith comes with comparing things side by side. Now, right now I'm thinking that we're five years into an anniversary event coming up. I think it's five years ago this Christmas season that one of our members at the time, Jeff Thompson, went down here to the Med Center to have a section of his intestines that had diverticulitis removed and put back together. So kind of an ordinary procedure for a very fit younger man. But what happened is he was finishing with the surgery and they stuck him over here in a waiting area, they didn't realize that something had hemorrhaged inside. And so when they came back just a very few minutes later, he looked like he was about 12 months pregnant. His whole abdomen was just way out here and they went into fits and they ended up putting him into a room and the doctor had the, his wife in there and they were saying, we don't know that we can keep him. We don't know if he's going to make it. Now, at this point in time, Jeff said he felt himself leave his body. 
And as he sat here, right here at this microphone and told the story, he said he looked and he was in the top corner of this room and he's looking down and his body's down there and he can see the back of his wife's head. He can see the doctor. And there's a third person there that he doesn't know who it is. And they're talking about all of this. And all of a sudden he says, my lands, there's no pain. The, the feeling, the experience I'm having is beyond comprehension. I've never felt this kind of love, this kind of peace. This is, this is heaven. And then he looks, he says, I looked down and I saw my wife, Madeline, and I says, but who's going to take care of Madeline? Who's going to take care of Will? And then it was as if he heard a voice say to him, you're going back. And then he said he exploded into his body and filled his body out. Now, since that time, I would say Jeff Thompson has told that story, I'm going to say probably four or five hundred times. If you want to go look under Jeff Thompson and What's the Christian Broadcasting Group? No, the the television network. Seven, not seven hundred. So what is it now? Say it. CBN. You go look that up online. You'll ha- you'll see the whole story of Jeff Thompson. He's done this two or three times with them. Now, what's the comparison? He's saying, if you felt this, you can endure this. If you know what I know, then what you have to endure and deal with down here, you can endure and deal with. Now, again, I like lawyers. We've got a church full of them. Most of them are pretty nice. We got one we're not sure about. All of y'all are laughing because you all know which one I'm talking about. I hope he hears this because he needs to hear it. But, but lawyers don't make up stories like this. But Jeff's a lawyer. This is what happened. Better comparison, growth and faith. Last thing, trials, triumphs, and understanding. When you come to the 11th chapter at the end, it tells you what people went through in verse 33. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, they endured, they uh, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the power of the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, etc., They went through these things, and they triumphed through these things. Paul says it this way. This momentary light affliction will give way to an eternal weight of glory. That's the way Paul looks at it. It's very similar here. Now, understanding. Years ago, children that were educated in 
the normal way of education prior to mass education, they were all trained the same way. They were trained in something that is called the trivium, and if they went on beyond primary school to what we would call university level, they went through what was called the quadrivium. So if you look up the trivium and the quadrivium, in the trivium, the idea was that kids are like a blank slate, and they are capable of the most prodigious amount of memory that you can ever conceive of. Their minds are like blank, large, giant computers. And so they taught them the grammar of every subject, the grammar of language, but the grammar of things like Latin, the Greek, things like that, the grammar of science, the grammar of history, facts, 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 facts. And it wasn't uncommon for a child in about age 9 to 10, if you were just given one Latin verb, they could go on for about 5 to 7 minutes just giving you all the conjugations of that verb. They could decline all the nouns the same way. Knowledge. But what they found is, these people were very smart, they said at about age 12, something happened, primarily these boys. You know what that something was, don't you? It's called puberty. And guess what they started to become? Argumentative. So that's when they began to teach them the whole skills of logic. Here's what you know, now you have to reason with what you know. Now the third thing that we don't want to get into is the whole idea of rhetoric. And at about age 15 to 16, they began to teach these kids how to put it all together and polish it like an apple. You may know the facts. But if you don't understand them, they're of no good to you. They're of no use to you. You've got to know the facts to grow, but you have to put them into practice. People are not knowing the facts, but here's the problem. When a test or a trial or something unfortunate or something difficult comes into the life of a believer today, you know what they want to do? ASP? Get rid of it. I'm telling you, that's not the way of faith. God sends these things into our lives that we can take what we know and trust him in faith while we go through these difficult things. And we come out the other side, and what does the scripture say about it? Our faith has been refined like fire and has come out like gold.
Understanding won't come by just knowing. Understanding can only come by you taking what you know and living through what will be, no doubt, some difficult times in your life. Trusting in God and trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless us. Help us to understand these things. Help us to see the reality. Help us to see them in the Old Testament. Help us to see them in Christian friends that we've known. And help us not to be surprised when fiery trials come upon us. But help us to be like these people, great people of the Old Testament, like Jesus, like Paul, like so many that we heard their stories, who trusted you and triumphed over all manner of evil and came out more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we pray in his name. Amen.